0: If you're a guest with us, we've been working our way, we work our way through books of the Bible. We ju- you just happen to have joined us when we've started the letter of 2 Corinthians. This is our second week. Okay. Technical stuff. God bless all of you that are online that didn't hear anything I said so far. So we are in uh, Second Corinthians, and we're we this is the second sermon in Second Corinthians. I originally planned to go through verse 11 last week, and so three weeks ago, when I was working on the sermon for today, I did the next passage, in other words, from verse 12 on, because I originally thought I was only going to go. Uh, going to go through verse eleven, so this last week, when I went to prepare for this week, I went, what happened to verses seven through eleven? <laughs> oh no so so quick cram, do it, put it together really quick and uh but at the same time, the Lord showed me that we need a special message next week um we 're going to do a special message on 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 Battles on what we're reading about here, on suffering and endurance and getting to the other side. And so um, I hope you can all join us. If you're a guest, I encourage you to try to watch next week because this is, uh, I don't normally preach through I haven't ever preached through the books of Chronicles. It's very rare that you find a pastor that preaches through Chronicles. Maybe someday, if I live long enough, we'll get there. But there is a chapter in Second Chronicles. It's chapter 20. If you're not going to be here next week, just read that chapter. It is so powerful about how we can endure, how God wants us to face battles in our lives, and how we can get the victory. And it's a, it's a wonderful... A little chunk of Israel's history, but today we're going to go into that missing passage: First Corinthians chapter one, or Second Corinthians chapter one, verses seven through eleven. So, if you would join me with as I read that passage to you, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Amen. This is God's word. right, so in the opening of this second letter to the Corinthians, Paul shared about his sufferings that are common to all mankind. It's not just Christians that go through sufferings. You know that because before you came to Christ, you went through sufferings. But especially those sufferings that we experience for the cause of Christ. He told them that when we do, we share in Christ's comfort as well. If we share in his sufferings, we share in his comfort. Then that comfort we receive from God, we share with others who are going through the same kind of suffering that we've gone through. While suffering is never enjoyable, James tells us to rejoice in them because the outcome of suffering is to learn endurance. And that matures us. If we want to be more like Christ, we're probably going to go through difficulties and hardships and sufferings. In our short passage for today, Paul's telling them of the suffering that he endured while he was on that missionary journey through what we would call Asia Minor, not the Asia that we think of today, and how our prayers for one another bring blessings and cause many to be thankful. So verse 7 again, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We become, you know, concerned when we see people going through trials. You know, sometimes uh, you find out about a loved one who's going through a real hardship, or you can just see it on a brother or sister in Christ's face that they're going through a really hard time. My wife's so discerning about that. Uh, She's so good at that. Thank you, Kip, for your encouraging words, but always know that if there's anything in good me in me, it's just Jesus, because I know who I am. And I know it's only by grace that he's let me do anything for his glory. But my, my, I wanna lift up my wife for a second. She has that gift of seeing anyone that's in trouble. She can just spot it. Even though there's, there's a smile on their face, she goes, what's wrong? And she'll sit down and talk with them and pray with them and encourage them. And that's what I think we all need to develop that gift. That's kind of what Paul is encouraging us to do here. But when we see that person suffering, there's that concern that, that either this suffering is going to draw them closer to Christ. Or they're going to allow it to push them away from Christ. But Paul's saying here, I'm sure of you that this this is not the case of you, that you're going to be pushed away. I know you're going to be drawn closer because you're going to experience the same comfort that we have experienced. Paul is maintaining this unshakable hope in the Corinthians, continuing to follow Christ because he knows the comfort he and his team received from the Holy Spirit is going to be experienced by them as well. And that should reassure us when we see a brother or sister in Christ going through some battle in their life, some difficulty. We can rest assured they will receive God's comfort. Now, we can, however, refuse that comfort. He's going to give it to us, but that doesn't mean we're going to receive it. Sometimes we will just wallow in our self-pity and refuse to be comforted. And I'm sure that's never happened to any of us, right? It's a way of complaining that God allowed this hardship to come into my life. And therefore, we reject that comfort. It's kind of our way of rebelling against what God has allowed. Not what God caused, but what he has allowed. Because we live in this fallen world. I have concluded that while God is sovereign over all things we can't blame our difficulties on him. It's usually a result of our sin or the sin of others. He knew it was going to happen, and he allows it for our good. It's as Joseph declared to his brothers when they came and told him, you know, before they made this whole story up when their father died. You know, as dad was passing, he told us to tell you to please forgive us. Because they were, they were afraid Joseph was going to execute him. They, they were the ones that sold him into slavery. So they made up this story. And Joseph's response to them is, is really instructing. He said, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So there are times when, when things will happen and people mean evil towards us. Their intent is evil, but God uses it for good. He takes that, that attack of people or the enemy of our soul and he turns around and he uses it to grow us and mature us. God takes the actions of fallen man and uses them to bring himself glory. But we have to welcome the comfort that he sends us and not blame and be bitter against God. As one songwriter wrote, I will praise him in the storm. Now, I don't hesitate to tell those who are struggling to go to God in prayer and to read the Psalms. Amen, we just talked about that this morning in our Bible study. Read the Psalms if you're going through a trial. Because every human emotion and experience we can go through some, comes up somewhere in the Psalms. A lot of times the songwriter is ex, just expressing, how could, God, how could you let this happen? Or one repeated phrase throughout the Psalm is Psalms is, how long, O Lord, do I have to endure this? How long will, you, will it be until you step in and make a change in my life and bring me out of this thing? I know that's, if you go there, you will find comfort in the Psalms. And that's because that's where I found comfort. You see, we find comfort from God and we pass that comfort on to others. And that's what Paul's teaching us in the verses just before this one we comfort others with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Sometimes it's a specific passage that speaks to a specific situation that we're going through and we can share it with others that are going through a similar trial. Now I want you to note that there is an added word in English here. Um, The word our is not in the original text in verse seven. Our suffering and our comfort, the word our isn't there. Paul may be, we don't know for sure, but Paul may be referring back to verse five about us sharing in Christ's sufferings to remind them of the promise of his sufferings and his comfort. See, so the our might be his if he's referring back to Christ. And sometimes I think that when God allows these uh, kind of uh, translations where we can't be sure that we can find something in either way. We can find the, that fact that our sufferings will end up in our comfort, and we can look at Christ and see his, his sufferings and his comfort. Paul may be contrasting their ease and their lack of suffering with his suffering to remind them that the power of God is demonstrated through weak lives, not powerful and secure worldly lives. You know, when, the, when someone's got everything and they make it through, people just say, well, yeah, because he's got all the money he needs and he's got all the, the help he needs and he can afford anything the spiritual ecstasies that those Corinthians were experiencing as they they exercised the gifts of the spirit were far removed from the sacrifice and the sufferings of a soldier of the cross. And this speaks to us in the American church and reminds us what Paul wrote Timothy, she who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. If we wanna see God at work, It's gonna require us to die to ourselves and persevere through hardship. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That does not sound like a comfortable life of pleasure, does it? Verse eight for we do not want you to become unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. The promise of comfort in sufferings came out of Paul's personal experience in Asia, which refers to the Roman senatorial province of which Ephesus was the capital. He does not describe exactly what the affliction was, but he does tell us it was so severe that he despaired of life itself. In other words, he thought he was gonna die and that it might be just as well that he died in that situation. We saw in his first letter that that God will not tempt us beyond what we are able, but will with the testing provide a way of escape so that we can bear up under it. Now that doesn't mean that it will not seem like it's unbearable. It often will seem unbearable. Paul says they were utterly burdened beyond their strength. But he did experience the deliverance he declared in the first letter that will be ours in Christ. The deliverance often comes through faith and the comfort from God to endure. Or it can come with a graduation from this life. I've stood by the bedsides of brothers and sisters that have passed peacefully from the trials of this life and gone to their heavenly reward. But that's up to God's timing and his will for each of us as an individual. We rarely face the physical persecution that Paul faced, but we do suffer physical maladies that can cause us to despair of life itself. We face rejection, sometimes from loved ones, and that can cause, mis- that f- are caused by misunderstandings, and that can cause us, our hearts to deeply grieve. Emotional conflict with those we love can be devastating. Recently, during the pandemic, many lost their source of employment. Some had to close businesses that they'd saved their whole life and invested into. Suicide rates have gone up. Despairing of life is something our culture is very familiar with, even though we have an abundance. Depression can strike Christians just as easily as it can unbelievers. I've experienced it. I left a ministry and people I love because sin wasn't being dealt with. And during those dark days, I was driven to the scriptures to seek help, and I learned about equal and accountable elders. And I learned that you must fight depression by making yourself do what you don't want to do with the help of God. I forced myself to get up, to take time to take walks in nature, to read the Psalms, to try to count my blessings and sing songs of praise. And little by little, the darkness lifts as, we, as I began to allow the comfort of God to replace the darkness. You have to make an intentional choice to stop dwelling on whatever it is that you're so angry with God about before you can receive his comfort. Once again, we see in these verses that following Jesus doesn't mean we'll not experience trouble or difficulty as some in the church of Corinth may have thought. Paul's reason for sharing his experience isn't to talk about himself. He's explaining that suffering is normal. And the Christian has an advantage over the world in that we have the comfort of God to endure through the sufferings. This brings praise to God and helps us rely more fully on him. You know, I still would have liked to find out what he was talking about because we really don't know in the scriptures exactly what Paul was referring to. Maybe it was the silversmith riot in Ephesus from which Paul had to flee, or it could have been a flare up of his thorn in the flesh, some physical malady that became severe. Verse nine, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul and his team thought they were gonna die. Though there's much speculation about what the situation was, perhaps it's better for us not to know. It's more applicable then to all situations when we don't know the details but instead know how it felt because at times we feel the same. Most of us here don't face the danger of physical persecution like Paul was facing, but we all face times when we feel like we've reached our end, either physically or emotionally, or conflicts that seem unsolvable. We wish God would take us home, that we don't have to continue to face the situation day after day and one sleepless night after another. But there is a silver lining to those depths of despair. They cause us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. By that, I don't think Paul's, Paul's meant here that his hope was to die and go to heaven, the God who raises the dead, but rather that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us to see us through the trial. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. But the Greek here, exp- the expression in Greek, raises the dead, is in an ongoing tense. It's not a past tense or a future tense that he's gonna raise us or he raised Christ. It's an ongoing tense. In other words, it's his very nature. It's who he is. In fact, he describes himself, I think it's in... in. Uh, maybe Romans 14, as the, as the life-giving spirit. The second Adam, yeah, it's, no, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. The second Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. Ongoing, always, he's pouring out life to us in whatever situation that we face. He wrote to Timothy that our savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus is continually our life-giving spirit. Our nature is so independent, so self-trusting that we need these crises to get us to look beyond ourselves to the one who can deliver us from what we think are impossible situations because Nothing is impossible with God. His power can lift our heads. His life in us can give us joy even in pain. His touch can make the sick whole again. The world just went through a pandemic. And regardless of where it came from, God allowed it. Regardless of the source of it, God allowed it to happen. And we look to man to solve it. Instead of trusting God who raises the dead, the world looked to man. And I'm not saying that God can't gift man with insight to create cures, but I'm saying that there seemed to be little or no repentance. In fact, as soon as the pandemic seemed to be over, look at the immorality and the lawlessness that's been spreading. It's almost as if there's, people are shaking their fist at God saying, you know, why'd you let all this happen? Look how moral we're going to be. That's the response of a nation not crying out to God. God, forgive us for extinguishing the lives of 50 plus million innocent babies. And now that the epidemic seems to have passed, mobs are threatening the lives of anyone who's pro-life and attacking pro-life clinics. As a nation, our response to COVID seems to become more lawlessness. The church did not plead for forgiveness for becoming so much like the world that we've lost much of our witness. We trusted in man's untested inventions, locked ourselves away, closed our churches, kept six feet away from each other, and most people still got sick regardless of how many boosters they received. I am afraid that this was just the first of many wake-up calls from God to turn us back to Him and give us some backbone to stand up for our convictions regardless of the cost to us. One thing it did that was positive is to wake us up to the indoctrination that was going on in our education system. I've been warning about that for the last 20 years. It's another reason for us to repent that we could let our children be indoctrinated with unbiblical ideologies. This nation has taken a 250-year journey from education for the purpose of reading and understanding the Bible to education that teaches to accept and welcome perversion and a godless universe. In times of crisis and despair, turn away from trust in man and turn to God who raises the dead, our life-giving spirit. Is that fanatical? Is being biblical fanatical? Well, if it is, maybe all be fanatics, amen? amen? It's better to trust in the Lord than to put trust in princes. Make sure your heart is right with God and do what the Word and the, and the Spirit are leading you to do. Then we will always act in love, the first fruit of the Spirit. Garland writes that in the Talmud, it's an extra-biblical Jewish writing they consider almost on par with the Bible. The second benediction of the 18 benedictions addresses God as the one who raises the dead. For Paul, however, this Jewish confession has a more specific content that's become the heartbeat of his faith. God is the one who raised the crucified Jesus from the dead. Paul does not trust himself to just any God in general, but to the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He therefore does not take the abundant suffering that comes his way with a gloomy stoicism, but with a sense of triumph because of the power of Christ's resurrection. May God help us develop that attitude. To the elite in the Corinthian church who boasted in their generosity or their spiritual gifts, Paul's message of power and weakness was a healthy blow to their pride. To us today, it helps the humble know that God is more likely to work through them than anyone who struts around prideful of their abilities. Paul's confronting the Corinthian mindset to open their eyes to the way that God's work works. In the fourth chapter of this letter, he will tell them, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So despite the intensity of the trial that Paul was going through, God delivered them. And it wasn't the first time and it would not be the last. Every time God delivers us, our faith should be increased so that we'll trust God to a greater degree in the next trial. God is increasing our faith and teaching us to turn away from trusting ourselves to trusting fully in him. And that's why he allowed the trial to come our way. We can learn from the trials or we can ignore what God is teaching us and have to face the same trial again and again. I often say when some trials repeated over and over that God's testing me to see if I've learned the lesson Or that he's driving home the point. You know, one example I'm often impatient. I value time, every bit of time. And so God blesses me with the slowest line at the checkout counter. It doesn't matter how short the line is, because I always hunt for the shortest line, the other lines will always be faster. And if I'm in a hurry to drive somewhere, God puts somebody that really loves scenery and wants to take pictures right in front of me going 20 in a 40. I'm learning now just to laugh and declare, look how much God loves me. And then I add a silent prayer that I will really trust him to see things are done in his time. And that's what trials are teaching us. Trust God. Everything's for a reason. He's involved in it all. Know it is for a reason and that it's in God's hands and that he can and he will deliver us in the right time. The last sentence in that verse is a declaration. We set our hope on him. We should not look to man or to wealth or anything other than God, our deliverer. And that's because we know he will deliver us. He is not saying he hopes God will deliver them, but that he knows that he will. Can you say the same? I know he will. I've set my hope on Jesus who will deliver me. Do you believe it? Is Jesus a life-giving spirit where your confidence lies? Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul embodies his own teaching that we need one another. God has fashioned us to work together as one body. Paul, as God's mouthpiece, called to be an apostle, needed the prayers of believers to strengthen him, to endure, and to be delivered through the trials. Though he knows God will deliver him, here he implies that they play a part in that by petitioning God for him. He knows he cannot do it on his own. If he needed other prayers, then we surely do as well. Amen? Are your prayers consistent for your brothers and sisters? Have you joined the prayer chain? If you haven't, see Thomas. Where's Thomas? In the back, in the corner in the back behind the sound booth. See Thomas and say, or just make a note on the little connect cards in the pew and drop it in the little clear boxes and just say, add me to the prayer chain, here's my email. God knows we can't do it on our own. We should know we can't do it on our own. The deliverance that is the result of the prayers of believers will result in many giving thanks, he writes here. Every time a prayer is answered, we should be thanking God that we can pray his will into the earth. What a privilege to cooperate with God and seeing God's will done in the earth. What a holy privilege we have to participate with God. Certainly, God doesn't need us. He can do it without us. But he's sovereignly chosen to include us in his work. And that's because he wants us to lay up treasure in heaven and see how gracious he is to hear us and act on our behalf. But the goal of it all is that thanksgiving will overflow to the glory of God. Do you pray for our missionaries? We've been introducing the ministries that we support in the call to worship. We're going to have, I, th- I believe we're going to have one of them next week as well. Do you pray for those who minister in this church, for your elders? I count on your prayers and the prayers of a team of prayer partners who don't live in this city. I know that if, if I'm an instrument of God for his glory, it's a great deal to do with their prayers, with your prayers. And I give thanks to God for them. Our house of prayer on Sunday afternoon as was announced earlier by Kip, it's just an hour, we try to keep it right to an hour, but we cover so many topics and needs and we've seen so many incredible answers to prayer. But it's always been difficult to get people to commit to praying. For a while, we had almost 20 people coming, which is great for a church our size, but little by little, it dwindles back down to a core of about eight. Maybe we need to watch Jim Cimbala's message on House of Prayer again. If we could just see the way that God works through our prayers, we'd be moving in here for more space. You know, one time I was flying back from a conference, and. And the man next to me had attended the same conference, and we got to talking about his church, a church he attends in Modesto, California. And he was telling me that their biggest meeting of the week was prayer meeting, that they had more people in prayer meeting than on Sunday morning because God was working through their prayers. When we cry out together for God to move, it's amazing what can happen in this verse i believe paul is pleading with them to start praying for him and his co-workers more often and mainly because it'll cause them to be more thankful to god but it's challenging to us as well sure you can and you should pray without ceasing but i would encourage you to just join us for that hour of prayer as well so that your thanksgiving to god might abound for his glory then we will Even thank God for our afflictions that cause us to depend upon God. That's what Paul's doing in this passage. He recognized the truth of what he taught in the first letter. We all need one another. We all work together. We all have a part. The ones who seem to be on the front lines are only successful because others play their part. Let's all do our part for the glory of God and the liberation of those who are enslaved to sin. Let us not give into despair, but to persevere for the salvation of others. And let us encourage and lift up in prayer those going through hardship, remembering that we are one with them. So let me briefly summarize the the points in this passage. God allows trials to teach us endurance and to turn us from self to God. Looking to Jesus, our life-giving spirit who sees us through. We can accept God's comfort or we can grow bitter. But victory in Jesus glorifies God's and gives experience to comfort others and grows our faith for future trials. And we need one another's prayers. So I'm gonna close by jumping ahead as Paul reaches the conclusion of this theme of suffering in chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, there he writes, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, are eternal. Amen. Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song? And then I'll give the benediction.